fairy tales, children's stories about magical and imaginary beings and lands, often the first lens we give young minds to view the world they live in. Many assume these are fictional stories to be taken lightly, but what if there is more to them? This is a podcast where we'll tell you some myths and tales that you thought you knew, and we'll show you how they are connected to real-life crimes today. This is Scary Tales, where the stories of your childhood meet real-life horror. We'll discuss how the light and happy tales of youth actually have a darker history to them. We'll also discuss true crime today and some of the eerie connections they have to the myths and legends of yesterday. Tune in for a new tale every other Tuesday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere you stream your podcast. It's us, and we're back. I love when you sing jingles to mm-hmm. me. I got a bunch of jingles up here. I need to be a jingle writer. She's pointing to her head, for those of you who can't see. She mm-hmm. forgets that podcasting can't see. Yep. You can't see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. We're back. We're back. Another episode. What week is this? I don't know. It's month three, though. I do know that. We have officially been... Pat's us. Pat on the back. We have officially been doing this for two months. Professionals. We have over a thousand listens on all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. Not not each individual episode, but collectively. Mm-hmm. Which is nice. It is so nice. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks so much. This week, we're, we're in December. We're filming this in November, but... We, Close we should, enough. Mm-hmm. We should be in December by now. And we thought we'd do a little christmas themed episode so all of our episodes this month will be kind of more that's right christmasy christmasy themed so today we thought we would bring you the story of you want to tell hansel and gretel hans hansel and gretel hansel and gretel and this is kind of christmas themed because you know gingerbread house and yeah a full disclosure we probably kind of started with our snack theme of gingerbread something and uh-huh. then and then reverted back to hansel and gretel right. but it's we, fitting. We we made it work. Yeah. Also, I think it's not it's fitting because Hansel and Gretel is really or it's one of the popular stories, obviously, but I think it has been thrown onto people's radar more this year because they just came out with another movie version of it. Twenty twenty. And so twenty twenty didn't bring you a lot this year, but it brought you a horror movie. A horror version, which I mean we like we support that. Mm-hmm. A horror version of the Hansel and Gretel fairy tale. Uh-huh. And and the name of the movie was not Hansel and Gretel, but Gretel and Hansel. They got really creative just flip with the, that. Their marketing the team name. was killing it that day. We we um we watched it last night. We did. We um the cinematography yeah. was beautiful. We'll yes. say that. Very fall Halloween. Yeah. Good tones. We yeah. The the way it was filmed nice. I didn't didn't, didn't like, fully love the did, plot maybe. line. No, we we fast forwarded through a lot. It kind of dragged. It was, was kind of slow. It got a it got a what a five point three on IMDb. Is yeah. that how you say? Is it IMDb? Yeah. It's IMDb mm-hmm. Inter- Internet Movie Database. So you we knew it wasn't gonna be that good. We it, we I wish I hadn't paid two ninety nine for it. Don't but, do it. Wait till it comes out on Netflix. But we do want to we I want to try. I want to watch Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Uh huh. That had a little bit higher ratings. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Hansel and Gretel movies. A one of which ton. I had I've never heard of. I don't know how. We all know. We don't all know. I, I act know. like everyone knows everything about me. Uh, <laughs> Everyone's your best friend now. Uh, I love Tim Burton mostly because he works a lot with the one and only Johnny Depp, which we've talked about before. In 1983, he directed a movie, um, Hansel and Gretel, and it was by Disney. Never seen it before. I haven't never either. even heard of it. 
It was before our time, but. Yeah, but still, a lot of these, I mean, all of these were probably significantly before our time. Mm -hmm. Hansel and Gretel was also featured on Once Upon a Time. Which I love that show. I do too. That's a guilty pleasure of mine. Or maybe it's not a guilty pleasure, but I've watched every yep. episode of every season. I watched it until it, like Netflix wasn't caught up. And yeah. then they're caught up now, I think. Once uh, they put it back on, I had like lost interest and like just watched The Office. Well, and it is kind of confusing because it is all, it's all, all the fairy, fairy tales. tales mashed mm -hmm. up together, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. So if you, if you like our podcast and you are looking for something to binge watch, yeah, Once Upon a Time on there Netflix, ABC, The Simpsons. I never watched The Simpsons, but they apparently also did a Hansel and Gretel episode. I think they've done, they, they've done I, everything. But that's what I like about these fairy tales is that they come up in pop culture all the time. And I think The Simpsons is a good example of mm -hmm. they bring up stuff in pop culture. And so... That's part of why I like talking about fairy tales and like classic stories, because if you know about the original and the classics and where it came from and like what it means, then you get that pop culture reference. Mm -hmm. And it's not only known here in America, it was actually translated into 160 languages. I can't even name 160 languages. No. Spanish. No. <laughs> That's it. That's all you got. That's all I got. Hola. Um, yeah. I, it, it's a, it's a popular one. And it's one that, like, you know, it's 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 a popular bedtime story, which you'll see later. Which once I, the more I studied it, I was like, how? Why? Don't know why. Do you remember, like, what do you remember about Hansel and Gretel? So normally, Lacey gives us our like Disney <clears throat> Disney recap. There's we're we're doing just the what, what I do remember. You, what as do a you remember as a child? Just two kids getting lost in the woods. I don't remember how they got there, and they left breadcrumbs, and yeah. the breadcrumbs disappeared. And so they're lost in the woods and they wander around and they find this gingerbread house. I always pictured it as a gingerbread house. Same. And they go inside and there's a lady inside who's actually a witch. And she feeds them and tries to cook them alive and eat them. And they kill her and make it back home. And, and happily ever after. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's about what I remember. I remember mm -hmm. the woods. I remember the crumbs. I remember yeah. the witch, the house. Uh-huh. The witch trying to eat them. Yes, that, that's the but, basics, but, a happy but there's ending. more. No, there's more There's more to it than that. Obviously, the guys who made this story famous were our Grimm brothers. Mm -hmm. First edition, 1812. Second edition, 1857. We've mentioned that before because there were significant changes between 1812 and mm -hmm. 1857. Like, they themselves toned themselves down. Yes. And I, do, I still think most of the... Ver like, we, if you go to the bookstore today and you get a version of Grimm Brothers fairy tales, you're going to get the 1857 version. Mm -hmm. So you're not you're not getting the... The most gruesome. Yeah, you're not getting the darker version of the two dark Which versions. Which, give me that. That's what I want. I know, but the one you got was 1857, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Like, we've only been able to find 1812 stuff online. If you're a um, purveyor... Is that the word? Sure. <laughs> of, liter of literature of, yeah uh -huh, and antiques and use uh, just so happen to have a copy of this yeah send it send to it, us send it to us so they but even they themselves were inspired by stories like they didn't just create all these things off the top of their head a mm -hmm. lot of their stories were collected from other stories fairy tales folk tales folklore folklore shout out to taylor swift that album was great came out this year one of the only good things that happened in 2020 See, 2020 brought us some interesting things. Mm -hmm. Gretel and Hansel, mm -hmm. movie remake horror. Sure did. A lot of other unmentionables. Horror album. Mm -hmm. the, so the, I read about several different things that inspired it. So they probably kind of 
mashed up several things, several different stories into one. But the one that gets the most credibility for being the inspiration behind this story was an Italian story by Giambattista Basile. Killed it. I tried it. I tried. I, Name you, bank you know, also. You know I pull up all my... um my Google translate to say these things. Mm-hmm. Giambattista Basile. Giambattista Basile. Yep. And then um, he c- wrote this kind of book called The Pintamarone. You have to say a Pintamarone. Pintamarone. And it, it was kind of similar to what we know Grimm Brothers as, like this collection of fairy tales and folk tales. This was kind of the Italian version of that. And I think it's because, I think the reason why this one gets attributed to it more is because one of the Grimm brothers' wives was like French or Italian. She had like French or Italian ancestry. So when they got married, she kind of brought some of her childhood stories. Mm -hmm. And then they heard that combined with their childhood stories and kind of created what we know today. Interesting. So the story that inspired Hansel and Gretel from this Italian folk tales was called let me play my. What's called Nanilo and Nanila? Is that close? Nanilo and Nanella. It's got two ends in the middle. So Nanilo and Nanella. You get the gist. Yeah. So obviously you can already see a story about like a little boy and a little girl. Brother and sister, they are forced out of their home by their evil stepmother. Sounds familiar. It's Snow White mm-hmm. all over again. They go out into the woods with their father who um, secretly leaves them a trail of oats, hoping that they would find their way back home. So in our story, we've got the breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. Here they have the oats. The problem with uh, leaving food behind as your trail is that it's going to get eaten. So Mm -hmm. that's about the only similarity in the story. So they leave this trail of crumbs behind them. They get lost in the woods. The little boy is found by a prince who adopts him, takes him in, kind of raises him as his own. He's a good he's a good guy. The little girl is found by a group of pirates. Oh, so that's um, where the sto- the similarities end. Yeah. We yeah, we don't have any pirates or princes in Hansel and Gretel. And the pi- the group of pirates eventually all die in a storm. Somehow the girl is saved because she is eaten by a fish. Okay. She lives inside the fish because inside the fish's stomach, there is a mansion. So she just lives in the house inside the fish. It makes me think of uh, the story of Jonah and the whale Mm -hmm. from the Bible. Then in the end, so she's living inside the fish. The boy is living with a prince. They go, the little boy and the prince go to their like vacation home on the shore uh-huh. fish goes up to the island and she shouts and the brother hears her mm-hmm. and that's how they get reunited. That sounds exactly like Hansel and Gretel. Right. The other the other story that I heard that was inspiration behind Hansel and Gretel had a little bit more themes of Snow White in it as well. There were seven little boys instead of a boy and a girl, mm-hmm. and they go out to the woods with their family. They get lost out in the woods. They run into an ogre instead of a witch. Okay. Uh, the ogre and his ogre wife have seven daughters. Seven, seven dwarves. Seven little, yep. 
um, seven little daughter ogre princesses who wear crowns. The seven little boys are in there like sleeping nightcaps. The father ogre wants to kill the boys. The mother convinces him to wait until morning. And so in the middle of the night, the little boys switch hats with the girls. So now the little boys are wearing the crowns and the little girls are wearing the little sleeping nightcaps. And so when the ogre comes to kill them in the morning, he kills the... His daughters. He kills, yeah, he kills his daughters instead of the boys and they get away. Also, so similar to Hansel and Gretel. How is that similar at all, other than they get lost in the woods? I don't know. It's There's a lost in the woods and there's a braille, mm-hmm. the, the trail of crumbs behind them. And I, okay. I think. So the joining theme for all of these stories is there's a trail. There's people being lost and there's a trail of something to guide them back. Yes, there's something horrible in the forest. You try to mm-hmm. leave a trail to get back home. Although I don't know why you want to get back home because yeah, yeah. The, the original story the, or the, the grim version of the story does not have a happy home life. Uh, this, I, I, and I feel like when, when Hansel and Gretel is told to young children, the main theme is like, don't talk to strangers. Uh-huh. Right. So we need to give them, if y'all don't know, we can give you a summary of Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. And it has a lot more to do with abandonment, survival, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, cannibalism. Cannibalism. Mm-hmm. It's not just a happy tale of like, don't talk to strangers in the forest. It's a lot darker. So in the original, or in the original Grimm, it is the same family of four. You've got the parents and the son and daughter. The parents are no longer able to feed their children because there is a famine going on, which we'll talk more about later. So... The mother and father decide that rather than all four of us starving, we'll lead the children out into the woods and let... Let them starve, then it's too then less mouths to feed. Right. In some versions, they try to moralize it a little bit. But regardless, the plan is for them to take the children out into the woods and leave them there. That way, the parents are saved. That way, they don't have to be the ones that watch their children die, depending on what version you want to... I think in all of in all of the grim versions, it's always the parents are um, evil. They just become yeah like a little less harsh in the most revised version. Yeah, I was about to say in the first version, it is it is the more sinister mm-hmm. reasoning. In the eighteen twelve, it's the more they want to survive, so they're going to let the children die. Mm-hmm. Versus in the new in the later version, they try to like. That's when they edited themselves and they tried to make mm-hmm. it a little less intense. So they made it like, oh, the parents were so sad and they didn't want to see their kids die. So they abandoned them. Mm-hmm. When they first go out into the woods, uh, Hansel leaves a trail of pebbles, little white pebbles, so that they would be able to find their way back home. So in the, He's a smart boy. And the pebbles were, they were white so that when the sun or when the, at night, when the moon would shine, it would reflect and they could see. Okay. Pebbles also are less likely to get eaten. Mm-hmm. So first round, the two children had heard the parents talking one night about leaving the kids in the woods. And so that's when he got a bunch of pebbles and put them in his pocket so that he could leave those pebbles. Mm -hmm. So like he knew what was happening when it was happening. When they get out into the woods, the parents are like, oh, y'all stay here and we're going to go get firewood. Mm -hmm. And then they never come back. But they wait until nightfall. They're able to follow those pebbles back home. And when they get back home, the parents are like, well, dang it. How the heck did you get back? Mm. So they go for round two. 
Yeah, and in the and I think in the original, the parents are like pretty vocal and pretty like open about being upset, like mm-hmm. or being surprised and shocked. And then I think in the next version, they make it out to be more like, "Wow, we're so glad you made it back. Mm-hmm. Let's go camping again." So they they try to like cover it up, but in the first one, I think they're more actually just upset. So they go back out into the woods. This time, I guess Hansel didn't have enough time to prepare, or I don't know if he just didn't like what happened with the pebbles the first time, but this mm-hmm. time he takes the breadcrumbs, which I don't know why. I mean, the pebbles were Maybe if he got hungry on the way, he could have a little snack as he picked them up. Maybe. A snack break. Snack break. So obviously the breadcrumbs don't work because they are eaten by animals in the forest. So this time they get lost. Mm-hmm. So they have officially been abandoned. They wander around the woods. They eventually come upon a small house. And I don't think they actually talk about it being a gingerbread house. Like, I don't think think it's just in all the children's books is depicted as a, as a gingerbread house. Yeah. But it's never, I don't think gingerbread was actually ever used in Mm -hmm. the original version, but it, it actually describes what the house is made of in the original. It was bread, but not gingerbread. Mm-hmm. The house was bread. The roof was cake. It was more like a cake house. The windows mm-hmm. are made of clear sugar. Mm. It would have trapped me. It would. I mean, same. I wouldn't even have to be lost in the woods or hungry. Or hungry. That would be. I would be intrigued. I'd eat it right now. So they were starving, obviously, at this point, because the kids have been wandering around. They haven't had any food. They go and start eating the house, right? Like just taking handfuls of the house and eating it. And then they hear a voice say, nibble, 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 little mouse who is nibbling at my house. Nope. So if anyone starts speaking to you in rhymes. Mm-hmm. No, it's a no-go for you me. You probably want to run away. Obviously, spoiler alert, this is the witch. Um, I don't know why. I need to do a little more digging, but I don't know why. Anytime witches are involved, for some reason, they have eye problems. <laughs> Like they either have only one eye it's or they, they can't have that see. like third sight. I wonder if it is that, that their actual vision is poor. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I, mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. Cause yeah. like they can, sometimes they're supposed to be able to predict the future or they can see things mm-hmm. other people can't. So their own like moral, mortal vision is horrible. Mm-hmm. Well, she's blind. She's so, just yeah. So blind. she's this old blind witch. That's mm-hmm. why I just, I, I don't know. I've always think that's fascinating, but she's this old blind witch. She, they don't, really know that she's a witch when they yeah, first yeah. remember she just seems like a sweet old lady she and she feeds them so obviously mm-hmm. they're going to be a sweet old lady that's got snacks traps me every time well this is just going to be us in like you know yep. <laughs> in the future yes so she feeds them she gives them pancakes fruit bread i mean she gives them all the things that are delicious mm-hmm. and then things get strange when she puts Hansel, the brother, mm-hmm. um, into a cage and starts asking Gretel to feed Hansel to fatten him up. Mm. So we're not eating at the dinner table anymore. Nope. Uh, we're going to be Han- eating the side of Hansel. Gretel is feeding Hansel her brother who's in a cage. I-, I wonder what's going through Gretel's mind at this point. Because mm-hmm. I guess she's just trying to like, okay, now she's in like survival mode. She's like, okay, what do I need to do to get us out of this? So Hansel's well fed and so is Gretel. No, Gretel's only given like Gret. Yes, he, she's only given crab shells to eat because I guess the witch is only using her for her cooking abilities, chores mm-hmm. to do chores. She cleans the house, she cooks. Yep. Because she because the witch is blind, though she can't see um, how plump Hansel's getting mm-hmm. uh, for for the cooking. 
So she has him stick a finger out of his uh, cage and she'll just feel how like fat his finger is. Mm -hmm. See if he's ripe. See if he's ripe. So once, once his finger is nice and like plump, she's, she knows he's ready to eat. But instead of doing that, he'll, because she can't see, he sticks like a little animal bone out. So every time. I know. It was his idea to do the pebbles. It takes a lot longer because she keeps feeling this animal bone and she doesn't think he's ready to eat yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Then one day she gets fed up and she says, it doesn't matter if he's ready or not. We're going to eat him tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So she makes Gretel go get the water and boil the water to put Hansel in. Mm -hmm. So literally, I mean, the, the sister is cooking, feeding and prepping her brother's soup to cook her brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make a Hansel soup. Yes. The witch, and I'm all about word choice because I tell my students all the time, like word choice is very specific, but the way it's written in the text, the witch actually says that she's going to slaughter Hansel. So not a children's words, no word. So if you, if you listen to the children's bedtime version of this, they've taken the word slaughter out because too dark. Mm -hmm. It also describes Gretel as crying tears of blood. So it also that gets taken mm-hmm. out later because also jesus yeah i mean c- crying tears and blood is a th- i mean it is a, th- a religious a thing and it's scheme. a yeah um it's supposed to represent just like how Anguish. upsetting something is but if you're gonna use this as a bedtime story which anything on youtube hansel and gretel bedtime story bedtime mm-hmm. story nope. uh they're not gonna say slaughter or crying mm-hmm. tears of blood the witch attempts to at this point she doesn't need gretel anymore so she attempts to get Gretel to check and see how hot the oven is or to check mm-hmm. and see if her bread is done baking, mm-hmm. something to get Gretel close to the oven and the witch is going to push her in. But Gretel is also smart. Mm-hmm. So she knows what's going on. She doesn't want to get scorched. So she pulls a trick on the witch um, and says like, what do you mean? Like, check and see how hot the oven is what do you mean check on the bread like i don't understand what you mean and so the witch actually like demonstrates for her and then gretel pushes the witch inside of the oven instead kills her kills her closes the door good job gretel hansel and gretel escape Mm -hmm. uh they go back home well in in the home they actually found that the witch is super rich and has all these treasures and stuff probably from all the people she's killed and Uh eaten right which they gather and they're like yes we we get to uh take this back to our family and but, like you said they go home how how they find their way back home this time I, you just miraculously all of a sudden found the northern star and found uh, your way home i don't know i guess you could have saved yourself a lot of i know why don't we do this the first time around mm-hmm. but i guess it wouldn't have mattered the first time around because without that treasure their parents wouldn't have accepted them because the whole reason mm-hmm. their parents abandoned them is because they were poor. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have money to buy food. So they couldn't feed four people. So they were going to abandon the kids. Mm-hmm. So they only had to feed two. Well, so. when, they, when they get back home, the mother's dead. Again, we've talked about how there were two different versions of the grim versions themselves. In the original version, and this is similar to Snow White, in the original version, it was biological mom and dad. Mm-hmm. Second version, stepmom. Second version, it was stepmom. Either way, the, the female parent is dead once yeah. they return. And the dad is happy to see them. Because now he's got money. Yeah. And and in the second version, the dad was much more like loving and kind. So in the mm-hmm. first in the first version, it was kind of both of them. 
in the second version, they kind of split the parents and they made the stepmom the like classic stepmother mm-hmm. evil figure. And she was the one who pressured the father into abandoning the kids. Yeah, he was and, kind of like a pushover. Yeah, and so in the in the second one, it was like you wanted, like you felt bad for the dad mm-hmm. because he got like manipulated by the evil stepmother. Mm-hmm. So when he when the kids return, and it's just the three of them, you're you know, you're kind of like, oh yay. But yeah. in the original, it's like, no, mm, don't like that. Yeah. In the second version, the Grimm brothers, I like. They tried to spice up the story, and you know what they did to spice up the story? A little sprinkle? Besides changing the... Well, they they tried to moralize the parents, but... Uh-huh. No. Well, on the way back home, they, they get a ride on the back of a duck. Oh, Again, yeah. a bird, the little white bird. I know. Snow White singing to birds. Birds are everywhere. I don't know. I know the more we tell these stories, the more I'm seeing, like, similarities mm-hmm. between... Which makes sense, because, again, these are all... Like, I don't know where... Or what ducks symbolized back then. But the birds are everywhere. But Let's Snow White track. Sing, Snow White sings the birds. Uh-huh. Peter Pan was originally the little white bird. Here they ride home on the back of a duck. Why not? We need a shirt. We need a merch line with just birds, <laughs> ducks. Just different different types of animals. So yeah, so let's see. So you kind of have a little bit of two different stories that kind of merged and became one. And then it's not a children's story. No, in the end, I mean, when we remember this story, we remembered like lessons of like, don't talk to strangers or like, don't take food from strangers, mm-hmm. which is a good story. I mean, lesson to learn when you're young, yeah. but it's, if you actually look at the original, it's much more of themes of like poverty and uh, family struggles mm-hmm. and abandonment and survival. It gets a lot it's a lot deeper than just don't take food from strangers in the woods. I, I take, honestly, I take more issue with the parents in the original version of Hansel and Gretel than I do with the witch. Yeah. She's just out there being, living her evil little life. I mean, she's just a witch by she's herself in respond. the woods. Those aren't her kids. She's she wouldn't, hungry. she wouldn't have the role that she has if parents didn't abandon their children in the woods. Yep. Which actually was not necessarily all that uncommon right so now now we're going to get into the actual history the historical events that inspired the first hansel and gretel type stories because all these folk tales and fairy tales there's there's truth behind the fiction part so Mm -hmm. are witches real no but did can we go back on that i'm uncertain witches are there are people that say they're witches Oh, okay. Well, the yes. witch community is right now like, no, burn it down. <laughs> yes. Unfollow. But I get what you the, mean. To the extent that they are Harry presented, Potter's not running around, sadly. Right. To the he extent the that they're mind. presented in literature and fiction, mm-hmm. no. But there. But again, yeah. I mean, you're right. There are. So a lot of folklore and tales from this period, the a running theme is child abandonment, and we're gonna tell you why that is it's it's creepy it's scary so it's well it's sad i mean I, I, it's sad because mm-hmm. it was something that they it was in, it was started by something that they couldn't help because mm-hmm. a lot of this ha- was originated in with the great famine that happened in this medieval period so mm-hmm. from 15 or 1315 to 1321 there was a great famine millions of deaths uh 10 to 25 percent of the urban population the majority of crops, the majority of farms. I mean, it was bad. It ha- it was across almost all of Northern Europe. It killed a lot of the crops, which then increased the price of what food did exist. Mm-hmm. So not only can people not 
grow crops because of like the climate and the weather and whatever was happening to cause this famine, but they also couldn't pay for it. Like mm-hmm. what did exist. So it's kind of, it was, it was twofold that, and then obviously if you're a farmer, you're not making any money cause you're not making any food. And if you're not making any money, you mm-hmm. can't, can't buy any of the food and you can't that grow does any, exist. Run right. a business. Like, so it's just a cycle. Yeah. It was this, this cyclical problem that and, was happening. And then let's say you were able to buy food. What you preserve your meat with is salt. However, the conditions, it, the the famine was caused by this uh, time period where there was just torrential downpour all the time. So right. obviously, you, you know, you can't and, and they grow can't a crop in, the, in a lake. And they couldn't control that. Well, it also, salt was unavailable because the conditions were so wet. So even if they were able to kill something, couldn't preserve it. Right. So it's just a bunch of little details that all formed into this snowball of chaos yeah. that led to you the... couldn't it was hard to grow fruit food if you could find someone who could grow it you couldn't pay for it if you could by any chance pay for it you couldn't make it last a very long time because mm-hmm. you couldn't preserve it people were having to kill their the animals that worked on their farm right instead of the farm animals they were having to kill the animals that worked on their farm horses oxes anything like dogs that. Mm-hmm. yeah any they were having to eat the things that help them normally grow what they could mm-hmm. eat. And they used every single bit of these animals that they would eat the meat. They would use the leather and the skins to make uh, clothing and shoes. Right. But they were also rampant. so hungry that they ate the hides and they ate dirt yeah, and, they, and, and feces even. Yeah. They, they would use literally anything they could find mm-hmm. to support themselves. Which, and then once that, that ran out, people began to eat only food source around. Yeah. Well, they began to starve. And once people started dying and there was nothing else left to eat, they would eat people Mm -hmm. who had died. Then I think is when, you know, there's, there's that dicey line of if someone's already dead, do you eat them to survive? Okay. Maybe. But then. What if someone's not dead? Do you kill them mm-hmm. so that you can eat them to survive? And they did both. So yeah. eventually they were eating whatever they could find. Some of those things being unclean or most of those things, which was caused to a spread of disease. I mean, if you're in a lose-lose, I mean, if I'm mm-hmm. going to die because I'm not eating anything or if I'm going to eat something dirty and potentially die. Mm-hmm. They, they were known to dig up corpses out of the ground and eat them. Yeah. So... Mm. I think I would starve. Like when we walk again, uh, naked and afraid, naked and afraid. When they're out there eating grubs and stuff, no, thank you. I'll just starve. No, but I'd eat an insect before I ate a human. Absolutely. The famine, so bad. You think you're the king? You're getting all the food. You're you're hoarding all the food. Nope, not no. No, it was so bad that the king at the time, who actually was Edward the Second of England, he did not even have enough bread to eat himself. Which, and that's how you know it's bad, if it reaches all the way up to the top of that, like, hierarchy. And because it was so bad, because it reached all the way up to the top, um, people would do exactly what happened in Hansel and Gretel. They would either, A, abandon their children because they couldn't feed them. And again, whether their intentions were pure in the in the idea of like i can't fat i can't stand to see my child like 
die of starvation. So I'm just going to abandon the child and hope for the best. Or if their intentions were malicious and were, I can't feed myself and a child. So I'll just feed myself Mm -hmm. and get rid of the child. Or so a, they would either abandon their children if they couldn't feed them or B, they would potentially eat their children. And some of the children were known to butcher and eat their parents. So it's just... Let's write that. Let's let's make that a mm-hmm. remake of Hansel and Gretel. Right. Gretel and Hansel. Gretel and Hansel. Mm-hmm. So, so all of that's happening, right? I'm going to make you feel good in this moment. Because all of that happened. And then the Black Plague... Oh, yeah. Black Plague comes right after this. ...started in 1347. Yeah. So essentially, you thought 2020 was bad. The 1300s, 1300s. Well, you had the big old famine, famine and then the, the black plague. How there were any humans left on the face of this I, earth? Honestly, I, 1300s, I famine, cannibalism, plague. Rough year. Rough, rough times. <laughs> rough. Rough. Well, speaking oh. of people starving. I think I think we got to go to a snack. Should snack we break. take a snack? We will not be snacking on children. No, thank you. We uh, We went back to the... The version of Hansel and Gretel that we remember with the gingerbread mm-hmm. house. Yep. Um, and we, we let that be the inspiration for our snack break today. Yep. So let's head on over. Snack break. It's a snack. You got a new, a new snack break jingle. Um, what is it called when you um when they update a song the room (laughs) what are we snacking on today well hansel and gretel gingerbread gingerbread houses that's what it makes you think of so today we have ben and sherry's gingerbread cookie dough chunks Ooh. Mm -hmm. edible cookie dough i think i think i like anything ben and jerry's does we also have how do you think you say that name brand? Alani? Alani. It's like a energy drink. Uh-huh. We got it at Target, and it's in the flavor Cosmic Stardust. What do, I you, can th- only... what do you think that tastes like? Just like all your hopes and dreams. Which... All, all your hopes and dreams with a little bit of... Um... Like a little... Like a mm, like a blueberry. Like a, okay, yeah. Strawberry. Um, are you ready for this? I'm ready. ASMR. Oh, wow. These don't go together, by the way, flavor-wise. I can just tell. As soon as you open that, I just got a wolf of gingerbread. You want to do this first, then get that? Uh, yeah. Are you going to pop it? Yeah, I'm going to pop it. Wow. Sorry if that broke your ear. Here you go. You want to grab one? Yeah. Do you like cookie dough? I do. I love cookie dough, and um, my husband always gets mad at me when I try to eat Mm -hmm. cookie dough because he's like, you're not supposed to eat it raw. Here we go. But this one is edible. Keep frozen snackable dough. Gingerbread cookie dough. I'm sure it's good for you. Ready? Yeah. Mmm. Yep. I'll have another. Please and thank you. That's delicious. You don't like it? No, I do like oh, it. Hmm. It's delicious. It's a limited batch. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you're going to be able to get gingerbread year round. No. So go out if you want this. It's really good. I it, it is really good. I give it like maybe an 8.5 out of 10. I do like the consistency though, the texture. Mm-hmm. Like, is it just a normal, it just tastes, uh, it, uh, it just tastes like really good cookie dough. Mm-hmm. It is. It, you can taste the ginger. You can. 
You ready to pour me up a little beverage? I told Hannah I, I can only take like one sip of this because I do I don't I cannot handle energy drinks. Cosmic Stardust energy. Oh, oh that's <laughs> I was ASMR if I've ever heard it. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's pink. It is neon pink. You ready to take a sip? Mm-hmm. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Mm. Oh, it's kind of like wa watermelon. That's delicious. That is really good. I do wish I knew it like. Oh, it tastes like sweet tarts. Oh, it does. It does kind of taste like sweet. I was about to say it tastes familiar. It, it like I, I do wish it said like a. I, I wish it said a fl an actual flavor it on here. It tastes like sweet tarts to me. It is pretty good. Only ten calories. I wish I could drink more of it. Only ten calories. Zero sugar. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm. 200 milligrams of caffeine, gluten-free, vegan, biotin, B6, and B12. All the good things. And the can's really cute. It's space. Purple. I just like if, if someone, if I'm drinking one of these and somebody's like, oh, like, you know, what are you sipping on? I'm just going to say cosmic stardust. There you go. And it just makes me sound really. Fueled up with some cosmic stardust. Really intense. Yeah. That's good. Oh. I, I would get that again. Mm -hmm. I would get both of these again. I'd get that a 7.5. Mm -hmm. Just because you're not an energy drink person, mm -hmm. you're you're more of the sugary sweets person. Yep. That is good. I would get that again. Now the real test is going to be to see how amped up I am by the end of this episode. Yes, I'm probably going to start calling Hansel and Gretel some uh, Jack and Jill, Gansel and Hill. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Um, that are you ready for some true crime? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Oh, so we're on to the true crime. True crime time. True crime time. Did you find a murder that happens in a gingerbread house for me? I didn't. I really tried. I didn't. You, in this world, in this day and time, 2020, you would think... You'd think that you'd be able to find a gingerbread house with there, something sinister mm -hmm. connected to it, which we, which we did just discuss. That wasn't actually the original grim. Uh -huh. It wasn't a gingerbread house. Yeah, a house made of sweets. Yeah. I didn't, but I did find a murder of a child that involves an oven. Oh, does that good. work for you? That's nice and dark. Thank uh -huh. you. Um, does that work for you? Does that fit the theme? It does. Is that good I enough? Think, I think it's a... I think it fits the connection to Hansel and Gretel. Okay. Well, this is the story of the murder of Angela Palmer. I know that doesn't sound like a child name. It is. It doesn't. It sounds like mm -hmm. a 45-year-old woman. But mm -hmm. it's... Great. So that's, that that does make it even darker. Uh -huh. So so maybe if you if you don't want to think about it as a child murder, you can just think, oh, Angela, 45-year-old mom, uh, has three kids, works at a hair salon. Smokes a pack a day. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Anyways, let's back up because this story started in 1984. The date was October 27th. It was a Saturday. So right around Halloween, which we love. Yep. Spits in right in with the spooky spookiness of the story. And the story took place in Auburn, Maine. When I first read this, I just saw Auburn and I was like, well, shoot, we got to. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Auburn, Alabama. And I was going to say. some story great. right down the street. Right down the road. Just like uh, Snow White happened mm -hmm. in Alabama. Mm -hmm. I don't know why if something takes place in your home state, it makes it feel scarier. Mm -hmm. 
Well, also, if it happened here, we could, like, go visit it, give all the deeds, maybe take some pics. We have started a list of places we want to visit. Mm-hmm. So, should This we is not one of them. Okay. And it won't be I do love either. Maine. I want to visit... I love visiting Maine, but not... Yeah, sure. I don't want to... We can do that. I don't want to... I don't think... Just based on what I know about this story. You're I not going to like it. Go. Yeah. I don't think so either. John Reed. He's an Auburn police officer. He's out patrolling the streets, and it's near the end of his shift. When he gets a call, and it's approximately 4 o'clock, and the dispatcher says, you need to go check out this house. It's There's smoke coming from it. And the address was 317 Main Street. This was actually the address of an older apartment building. It was a three-story high building, and it housed six families. It was not in the greatest part of town. It was actually pretty run down and dilapidated. So he's already thinking, oh... Gotta go He's already, to this. already thinking something yeah. bad. So when he gets there, Reed sees that the fire trucks are already at the scene. So he heads on inside, and he heads up to the second floor, where there's a gathering of several residents standing outside this door that's smoking. One of the ladies standing there says, The guy inside is crazy. Look at all this smoke. It smells like burnt hair. Ooh. Not, not a good indication of not a good you're going to find something good inside, inside there. Because there is a very distinct burned food smell. Mm-hmm. Burnt hair, though, burnt bad. hair. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have leaned over a candle or two mm-hmm. in my time. Yes. And the smell of, like, singed hair it's the worst. is very, it's, ve- it's also very specific. Uh-huh. Distinct. Like it's, yeah, it's very distinct. Officer Reed looks down. He can see the smoke coming out from under the door. And the neighbors all say that they had been knocking on the door for several hours, but they can't get an answer, which I'm like... Even knocking on the door several like hours. Kicking it in. Either. There's smoke coming out. Like, when were y'all? Yeah. Anyways, it's sometimes I, if I couldn't get an answer and somebody's house looked like it was burning down, I'd kick in the door. But well, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's just me. A firefighter finally was able to kick down the door. And when they get inside, the apartment is obviously filled with smoke. You can't see anything. But they were able to find the living room, which didn't have as much smoke as the rest of the apartment. And in the living room, with their backs facing the officer and the firefighters there are three people a man a woman and a child and they're all three holding hands and staring out this bay window can you imagine that's mm-hmm. just like i can picture that in a horror film mm-hmm. the three people like i said had their backs to the officer officer reed and he's shouting at them like what are you doing come on hello we're here what? we're here to help you they're not turning around they're not saying anything but officer reed notices that the man is holding a Bible, and he has his finger. You know, if you're reading a book and you need to hold the, your place real quick, you'll yeah, put, you your, put finger your finger in it. Yeah. yeah, and he's doing that as if to mark a certain page of the Bible. Officer Reed is obviously like, we got to get you out of here. So he tries to pick up the child, who's a little girl, but the mother standing there would not let her go. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, you're an adult. If you want to stay here and die, fine, that's your choice, but we, I need to get this little girl out of here. Finally, the woman turns to him, and looks at him dead in the eyes, her face completely blank, and he's and she says, "It's all right. Lucifer is dead. Lucifer is gone. Angie will be okay now." Ooh. And then you hear that little knife sound from the horror movie. <laughs> that is I'm, terrifying. That probably just broke your eardrum too. Sorry. At this point, the woman finally releases the child. Officer Reed picks her up. He was still screaming. You know, you got to get out of here. There's a fire, and finally, I guess, it, they snapped to, and they exited the building. 
When Officer Reed gets outside, there's a young woman shouting hysterically, where's the baby? And Officer Reed's like, um, she's right here. I got her in my arms. Like, what do you mean? And the lady's (gasps) like, no, there's another little baby in the apartment. I have chills all over my body. Mm -hmm. So he rushes back into the apartment. And when he gets there, there are three firemen and they're in the kitchen. They're standing around a stove or an oven that has been unplugged. And it's been pulled away from the wall at this point. The door to the oven was open. And Officer Reed, what he saw there, he I imagine he was never able to forget. There was a body of a child with a little leg hanging out of the door. No. Yeah. So that's where this story starts. And we're, we're going to kind of unravel it. But it is gruesome. So just buckle in. Hannah's face right now. Her mouth's agape. And she's just uh, uh. <laughs> I had chills all over my body. So I, I imagine that's where the fire started. Mm-hmm. Oh, so let's let's take it on back a little. Because every story has a story has a story. For the past month, John Lane, Cynthia Palmer, Sarah Palmer, and Angela Palmer had been living in this apartment building. And they were living in a unit that was on the left wing of the building and on the second story. So so these are our people. That the, the that we're standing in mm-hmm. the smoke. Yep. Let's go back even a little further. Cynthia Palmer, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her childhood. She did not have a great one. As, were you thinking she did? No. 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 It, well, that's just a common theme in a lot of these stories that's like heartbreaking is that a lot of these people mm-hmm. that have problems in adulthood have problems in their childhood. Uh-huh. And then they... they breaks my heart. Child. And obviously their child's going to mm-hmm. have problems in their childhood. Right. Like... Putting a child it's just in the an oven. endless cycle. Cynthia had a difficult childhood. Her father was super abusive, and her parents eventually sp- split because her father was so abusive. When Cynthia was five, she was rushed to the hospital for a peptic ulcer and a gastrointestinal hemorrhage. Uh, not common in five-year-olds. I assume you have peptic ulcers, and and that could cause a GI bleed because you're so stressed out. I hear of people getting peptic ulcers from stress. And if she's living a really in tumultuous abuse. home life. Yeah. So she that's that's a lot to deal with right off the start. She bounced back and forth between living with her father and her mother. And event, eventually when she was old enough, she started to run away from home. She had, what I was reading, she stayed many times on psychiatric units from a very early age for attempting to commit suicide. And then later on for just mania and having mental issues. But she said that a lot of her problems stemmed from her father's forms of abuse, which included isolating her. He would lock her in small, dark spaces, the basement, what have you. And he would leave her in there so long that she had to use a pill to go to the bathroom. And then other times he would tie her up, lay her down on the floor and beat her with a belt or a pool stick. I think I would run away too. Mm -hmm. And I could see how we would end up needing psychiatric assistance. Yep. So that's Cynthia. That's that's where we're starting with. John, John Lane, surprisingly enough, here's the kicker. He started his life in an oven. And you might be saying, Lacey. Well, like a bun children, in the oven? Children, like, no. Oh. I, <laughs> my, my mind went to like, you know, the when people say you got a bun in the oven, means nope. you're pregnant. So that's nice. Oven, oven is not a um, code name for. Mm-mm. Sure not. Uterus right now. Yep, and and it's not a mistake for, oh, he started his life, like, in a stork, in a little bag that was dropped off at the front porch. No, in a literal literal oven. So he was born oxygen-deprived, 
So he was blue. And back then, they didn't have, uh, I don't know, science wasn't as great. If you're poor, you have your baby at home, you don't know what to do. They're cold, they're blue. You stick them in the stove. So that's what his mom did. She stuck him in a wood stove. Obviously, I guess it wasn't that hot. And he, she surrounded him with water bottles, bricks, and blankets and kind of created a little incubator. Which, I mean, of sorts. Innovative. I see the logic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see the logic. There you go. You got to do what you got to do. Also, she was known to give him, and this was common back in those days, she would give him doses of whiskey, sugar, and water. Understand the sh- whiskey, like put him to sleep uh, if they're screaming or something. Um, and they didn't know that alcohol harmed children in that time. Uh, but yeah. sugar, I don't see where that's going to help you. Well, that, that I just... It's no. It's a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just... Any of those things kind of seem like a lot on a baby. Mm-hmm. John would later go on to describe his childhood as, in quotes, pure horror. His parents were also abusive, and he would be whipped with belts, and they would even withhold food from him, so starve him. However, the family was known to go to church every Sunday. Doesn't equate, that just goes to show, well, it doesn't always equate to a good person or a good home life. No, they're, I mean, and I'm sure that was in large part a, a cover-up, you mm-hmm. know, that they were two different, different people Living at church, on, different people at church on Sunday than they were at home mm-hmm. every other day of the week. John was really intelligent. He did well in school. He was known to have an IQ of 113, which is above average. His parents, like I said, fought all the time, and John started getting in trouble with the law at an early age. He was accused of vandalizing and sent to a reformatory school. I've never heard good things about reformatory schools. I mean, clearly from where we started with this story, it doesn't sound like it worked. No, it sure didn't. And it was there that he was first evaluated by a psychologist who found John to be, in quotes, emotional misfit with superior intellect. And he would go on to have psychiatric issues, obviously. Clearly. Okay. So let's flash back forward. Yikes. Mm -hmm. We got John and Cynthia. That's their backstory. So no one in the apartment building had seen the four members of the family for about the past two days. And they noticed that laundry had been hanging out on their back porch since midweek as if abandoned. Nobody had touched it. So we have several neighbors that witnessed the odd things that were going on around at this time. And I'm going to tell you about it. So, since Friday afternoon, which the murder happened on a Saturday, neighbors said that they were bombarded with loud music, strange voices, pounding noises coming from the apartment. Patricia White and Robert LaGrange, they were the neighbors that lived below Lane and Palmer's apartment, and they reported hearing loud religious music blaring from the floor above. And there was also a recording of someone saying over and over again, Jesus loves you. Can you imagine that? And just a creepy voice all day. Jesus loves you. Well, Jesus thought, loves you. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like the song, Jesus, mm-hmm. like somebody playing the song, Jesus nope, just loves some, you. No, yeah. just a voice recording. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At 2 a.m., Patricia finally had enough and was like, Robert, please go upstairs, knock on their door, tell them to knock it off. I can't get any sleep. So he did. He went up there and he knocked on the door, the door and he heard a man say, go away. The wrath of God will strike you dead. And Robert mm-hmm. was like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Couldn't do anything with that, so he um, headed back downstairs. Nothing came of that. Another neighbor, Mary Draps, she lived above Lane and Palmer, and she also reported hearing loud music and the word Jesus being played over and over. She didn't go complain to the apartment herself, but she did complain to the landlord. But the music uh, 
did not quiet down. At approximately 11.30 in the morning on, a Saturday, on the Saturday of the murder, Duraps went to check her mailbox, which was on the first floor landing of the apartment building. You know how these larger apartment mm-hmm. buildings that hold several families, they'll have the, all the mailboxes on the first floor. As she passed Landon Palmer's apartment, she stated that she heard a little girl crying, Daddy, let me out. And she thought nothing of it at the time, thinking the little girl could have just been sent to her room and wanted out. I, I guess it would be the tone of the child's voice. If they're like screaming bloody murder, let me out, then yeah. that's a cause but for I concern. Could, but I but I also understand her like line of thinking where it could be a kid that was put in time out for like five minutes mm-hmm. and they wanted to be let out. Right. It wasn't. Yeah. I, Newsflash. Um, spoiler alert. Later that day, Duraps was carving a pumpkin, which we love. We love that. It was, we around, that. It was close to Halloween, mm-hmm. so that makes sense. When all of a sudden she noticed smoke and a very sickening odor. Never never a good combo if you see those things. No. So that's her account of what happened. So that's two people who mm-hmm. now have heard something, witnessed witness something. Right. The list gets longer, though. We now have a Julie St. Amand, and she lives across the hall from Lane and Palmer. And she was actually had become acquaintance with, with them. She'd only known them for a few weeks, but she had them and the girls over for dinner the previous Thursday. So that's nice. She seems like a nice person. Julie's roommate, however, James Boussier, he did not like John Lane and had a eerie feeling about him. And he had told Julie that he that John Lane seemed like he had multiple personalities. So James was on to something. Mm -hmm. Julie and James also happened to be kind of co-managers at the apartment building. And James was a handyman. So around 6.30 Saturday morning, James was doing handyman things. He was carrying some windows to the third floor for installation. And he passed the second floor, passed John and Cynthia's apartment. He heard water running in a bathtub and a muffled conversation, which wouldn't be that weird, except, except that he heard a child ask, can I get out now? And he heard, heard another girl say, she hasn't done anything. Let her go. Then he heard Cynthia say, she's a naughty girl. She needs to be cleansed. She needs to pay for what she has done. James went by the apartment later in the day, and, she, and he heard John reading from the Bible. And then Julie passed the apartment at approximately 1 p.m. Saturday afternoon and heard a little girl cry, Daddy, let me out. Help, let me out. So that coincides with the other witnesses' stories. Yeah. Also, if I'm James, though, and I hear that conversation, like, if I hear more than just, like, a let me out, let Mm -hmm. me out, like, why didn't we call the cops? Yeah. Or, like, why didn't you knock on the door? Or you're a handyman. Do you not have Mm -hmm. a key to the, like, yeah. Go I think find so that's like the, the bystander effect. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Have you seen where videos every, of that? Like people. Yeah. Where everybody assumes somebody else mm-hmm. is going to do something. So nobody does anything. Right. And then nothing gets done mm-hmm. until like something horrible happens. Yeah. yeah. This is a great example of that story. Mm-hmm. Flash forward. Everyone had been evacuated from the building. And Julie. Remember Julie? Mm-hmm. She's standing outside the building with the other residents. And she saw John and Cynthia exit the building. And when they reached the bottom of the steps, they turned to each other and kissed. So this is after the cops have gone in. They saw every, they saw the three of them standing in the smoke. Not yet. This is right. So that this is as soon as they exited the building. They just ran out from the fire. They get to the bottom of the steps and they kiss. I thought John and Cynthia were the ones inside. They get they get them out. Oh, they, okay. He yeah. gets the, the girl out and eventually and the, John okay. and Cynthia come around and they exit the building. Okay. Officer Reed is carrying Sarah. And it was at this point that Julie notices Angela is missing. 
and she shouted at Cynthia, Cindy, which was Cynthia's nickname, where's Angela? And it was John who answered and said, Lucifer is gone. I got rid of him. Right. I didn't ask you about Lucifer. I asked oh, you about oh, your daughter, Angela. And she's just like, oh. um, Officer Reed at, Reed at this point snatches the Bible from John, making sure not to lose the page it was turned to. And the page it was turned to was 1 Corinthians 13, 14, which contained the passage. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. If you're Officer Reed right now, just full body chills. This is a, another classic example of like someone who's taken this verse 100% out of context mm -hmm. and decided like to use that to their narrative. He, he sure did. John and Cynthia, they were arrested on the spot. Good. And as she was being handcuffed, handcuffed, Cynthia turned to Officer Reed and stated, I didn't do it. He did. And then they were both taken to the Auburn Police Department. Meanwhile, the medical examiner shows up. They got her. They came to examine the body that they found in the oven. The, oven. Mm -hmm. the body was so badly burned that part of the skull had to be cut away in order to remove the head from the heating coil. Because, you know, when you put things in the oven and they melt and they drip down onto those wires and they get attached. Uh, and oh, yeah. Same thing happens, apparently, when you cook human remains. Ew. I'm sorry. Ew. <laughs> the child's body was found wearing a blue sleeper with a teddy bear decal on the front. Officer Reed witnessed the child being removed from the oven and had to excuse himself to go and vomit. I don't blame him. Do we know how old the child was? I, I was just curious. A, a blue sleeper with a teddy bear decal. She's like four or five. Sound like just makes it sound mm -hmm. really like really young. Yeah, I think she's like four or five. So so he has to go excuse himself to throw up. I forgot to say that I got all of this information. I actually read a whole book on this case, and it's called Lucifer's Child, and it is by a man named Elliot Epstein who um, did a lot of research on the case. He was quoted as saying. Almost every first responder within a year or two went out on some kind of disability or resigned. In fact, one of the policemen was so disturbed that he attempted suicide. So there's no question that witnessing this kind of thing has a profound effect on the psyche of the people who are involved. Yikes. Before he left the scene, Officer Reed went to check in on Sarah, the surviving child. He asked her if she was okay, and Sarah responded, Yes, but Angie was bad. Angie's room was dirty, and Daddy had to punish her. So all this was over a kid not cleaning up their room? That was her. That was little Sarah's take on things. Detective Joseph Malliot actually takes over the case. He works for the Maine State to Police Department. So this has gone from like a county thing to mm -hmm. a state thing. So like it's it's growing big in, time. in mm -hmm. recognition. And he's a detective where the other guy was just a cop, so he's doing the investigation. And they quickly confirm that the body is Angela Palmer. Malia decides to start his investigation by interviewing Cynthia first. Cynthia's face was apparently just blank, void of emotion during her, her um, interrogation. Mm -hmm. She did not even appear to know that her daughter was dead. And she kept saying, like, why am I here? Is there something wrong with my kids? He asked her when the last time she saw the two children was, and Cynthia stated... We come downstairs last night to see what all the ruckus was about. There was fire trucks and everything out front of the house. I noticed my place was awful, awful smoky. I mean, like total detachment. Mm -hmm. Like, did you just black out for this entire thing? Mm-hmm. 
He then asked her how that happened, and Cynthia said, the rag in the oven. Like, I guess she forgot a rag in the oven. She then said that she had just cooked hot dogs and was about to heat up some bread. So the fire, she just assuming, I guess, started with the oven. She was cooking stuff. There was a rag left in there that she was cleaning the oven with. I don't know. Cynthia said that John would never do anything to hurt her children, and he was, in quotes, a terrific guy. Even though when she was being handcuffed, she said... He did he, it. He did it. So she's going like back and forth in between well, she reality and yeah. psychotic. At this point, Malliot was like, Angela is dead. And Cynthia acted like he, she couldn't believe it. She denied that she and John were a part of any cult and that they were born again Christians. And she's just in hysterics. Can't believe that, that Angela's dead. She said that Saturday afternoon, she and John were just drinking coffee, listening to religious records and praying. Which, according to all the neighbors, it was incredibly loud mm-hmm. music. You know, Hannah. Not praying, but like shouting. Yeah, that's what you got to do sometimes when you're passionate. She said that she first noticed the smoke around 1030. After this, again, she continues to remember that Angela is dead versus thinking she's not dead. And uh, he has to keep reminding her, no, Angela's dead. So that's Cynthia's interview. We move on to John, whose interview was even stranger John looked like he was in a trance, and Malliot said that he had to test John's level of awareness by flicking his hand in front of John's face to see if he blinked. So you just got this zombie blank stare. It was difficult to even elicit coherent responses from John because he was in this zombie-like state, and Detective Malliot said that sometimes John would just hunch over in the fetal position and make moaning, sobbing noises. What kind of drugs are they on? Yeah, I mean, like... Right? Both of them are, like, just absolutely detached. Mm -hmm. John finally broke down and stated that Lucifer was in the apartment and Lucifer was a little girl. He said that Lucifer was not very big, but green and ugly. Mally had asked, what did you do with Lucifer? To which John responded, I threw her in the oven. However, his story goes back and forth and is just changing and crazy. It says... John stated that Lucifer was not Angela, though, and that Angela was in heaven, and that she was in heaven before he put Lucifer in the oven, and that Angela had actually died during an abortion. None of that makes sense. He said that Cynthia had nothing to do with it. She didn't know that Angela was put in the oven. He said that he, after he put Lucifer in the oven, he just sat down and waited for Jesus to come get them so that they could all go to heaven. So that's what they were all doing, just mm-hmm. standing in the living room holding hands. Oh, yep, yeah, looking out that window, yeah, waiting for window. Jesus to come. That part seems true. That's the only part that makes sense so far. Again, Detective Malliot was like, Angela's dead, John. To which John stated, no, God, that poor little baby, I didn't mean to hurt her. Mm. Well, but you did. But you did, sir. After the interviews, Malliot was able to get a search warrant and return to the scene of the crime. He obviously inspected the oven. On the oven, there were two dials, and one of them was turned to bake, and the other one was turned to broil. And we all know if you turn on, I'm sorry, boil. I was going to say, we all know if you turn on broil, that thing's going to be burnt. In oh, a yeah. It, it just, the temperature, it just mm-hmm. says high. It yep. doesn't even tell you a degree. It just says it's like as high as it'll mm-hmm. go. The oven had been unplugged, but if it was on... The maximum, which it was when Angela was in the oven, the maximum temp would have reached 500 degrees Fahrenheit. There so, were, so if they hadn't unplugged it when they did, mm-hmm. it would have just kept going mm-hmm. up. There were brown stains that ran from the top of the stove to the floor and ended in 
large puddles of brown liquid. No, I'm not going to ask you what you think that was. No. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Inside the oven. Oh, here we go. She is four. Inside okay. the oven lay the body of four-year-old Angela. Her head was positioned toward the right side of the oven, her trunk towards the left, and her legs were rigidly extended, one of them hanging outside the oven. Behind the oven, this is strange, Malliot found a slip of paper, which was actually a permission slip for Angela to go on a field trip scheduled the following Tuesday, and Cynthia had signed the permission slip saying she could go. So I feel like that's going to be like evidence that Cynthia wasn't wanting to do this because they're like people are going to say, well, she wouldn't have signed a permission slip for her if she mm-hmm. hadn't meant to. Yeah, unless and it was e- like a heat of the moment thing. But also, yeah. they found a, a red stain on the permission slip. Oh, so may oh, okay. So that was my second thing. I was gonna say, or they are gonna use this as evidence. Like maybe they were gonna use this as evidence of, like, oh no, I tried to. Like I was gonna send her on a field trip. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't us. Like oh, she's just missing. Look, I signed this thing. Yeah, I think in the end it ended up just being a coincidence. But there you have it. Weird, a weird quin, a, a weird coincidence. Yeah. Malliot also noticed a trail of red spots that led from the kitchen to the bathroom. I don't know why they why they say red spot. We all know what that is. It's yeah. blood. Blood. In the bathroom, there was a small chair which had been upturned, and it also had blood on it. As, as well as a long strand of light brown hair that had been stuck to it with the dried blood. Malliot packed up all the evidence, including the oven, because we were getting ready for a court date. John's, John Lane's jeans were also taken into evidence, and they also were found to have, again, small red stains all over them. It's blood, people. Blood. Angela's autopsy took 1.5 hours, and I looked it up. Apparently, autopsies generally take two to four hours, so... I, I think with hers, there wasn't do you, much left. I was about to say, do you think because she was like younger and smaller that maybe yeah. that had to do with the time? That and how badly burned the body was. There There's was not much, much autopsy you can do. Right. The body, of course, showed extensive burns present on the front of the child's blue pajamas. Remember the blue pajamas with the teddy bear mm-hmm. was a charred substance with some hair attached to it, as well as what appeared to be a piece of skull bone. She had a large split cut whatever you want to call it, on her scalp on the left side with exposure to the skull bone. They found soot in her trachea and upper respiratory passages as well as carbon monoxide in her blood. So do you know what that indicates? Um, I mean, if that means she was had to have been breathing because mm-hmm. that stuff was going into her. Right. So, where if she wasn't breathing, they would mm-hmm. have maybe only found it like in her, at the edge of her mouth or something. Right. So she was, so alive, she was alive when she went yeah. into the oven. There were no signs of sexual abuse or broken bones, but there were multiple fresh bruises on Angela's lower back, left shoulder, left knee, right ankle, and hands and chest. Which could either have been from them trying to shove her in or her trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll find out later what it's from. Oh. Girl, you just wait for it. Ugh. At this point, John, John started to change his story, and we see that he, he does this quite frequently. He's already... He's not the sanest no, people. He's already gone back and forth on details so mm-hmm. he's now saying that cynthia had poisoned a chocolate cake with hallucinogens uh, flashback to nanny doss well yeah also so, i'm not going to be surprised if hallucinogens are involved in this because they both sound like, like they're, they're on mushrooms like, right they both sound like they're on mushrooms but he said that angela i mean sorry excuse me cynthia had tricked him into thinking that angela was lucifer however Funny enough, urine analysis for both Cynthia and John were negative for drugs or alcohol. Okay, so it's Or not. at least enough at this level that would make this type of behavior. 
Yeah. So it's not that that can't be the the reasoning. He said that the drug Cynthia put in the cake turned him into his alter ego, whose name was Michael Erickson. And Michael Erickson was (laughs) just this personality he had that was a Vietnam veteran. And Michael made him kill Angela. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. So you've admitted you have an alter ego, mm-hmm. which the neighbor across the hall was right. Because somebody... Multiple one, personalities. One of the neighbors said, I think he has mm-hmm. multiple personalities. Bingo. Obviously, John's not having a great time in jail. We've talked about it before. People who abuse, kill children have a horrible time in jail. They don't put up with that in there. At one point, John's... One of the inmates in the prison tried to kill John by setting his cell on fire. Well, yeah, I bet he did. Mm-hmm. Because... If you hear that you stuck a child in the oven, I bet somebody's going to want to set you on fire. Right. See how you like it. Cynthia, on the other hand, is sitting in jail, and she's back to acting like she didn't know what happened to Angela until a chaplain comes to visit her, tells her what happened, and she breaks down again. So is this an act? I don't know. She keeps going back and forth. Cynthia said it was not John who killed Angela, but a man named Michael, or Mike. So, again, his alter ego. So she knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cynthia said she had tried to stop Mike from hurting Angela, but he, but John knocked her unconscious when this happened. And when she woke up, the apartment was already on fire. Cynthia also changes her story a lot of times. She goes from saying it's John to Mike, John to Mike. Okay, but I don't blame her for that if, she, if she's talking about the same person. Right. So eventually, she does settle on the fact that it was Mike. It wasn't even his alter ego. It is Mike. She said that John had taken a blue marker and put crosses over every door and window of their home, which reminds me of the Passover, again, biblical. yeah. Yeah. He then beat Cynthia badly. Cynthia, at this point, tells Sarah and Angela to go hide in their rooms. And then John somehow forced three kinds of capsules down their throats, at which point Cynthia thinks she blacked out. And when she came to, the girls were laying on the living room rug with John standing over them shouting, Lucifer's whore, green slime. In a per- <laughs> yeah, he's just... Uh, what? I, part of me obviously would be terrified. Another part would be like, what, what, what are you what, saying? What do you mean, though? And in an attempt to protect the girls, she wrapped all three of them in a blanket, kind of like a burrito, to soften the blow of the beatings John was giving them. She again told the girls... You need to run. They do, but John is able to catch Angela. He continues to beat Angela, calling her Lucifer's whore. He told Angela that he was an exorcist and could save them. And again, Cynthia passes out from the beatings and the drugs. And she woke up. The apartment, again, was filled with smoke. So lots of beatings, lots of passing out, lots of waking back up, getting beat again, lots of passing out. Okay, but the only thing I don't like fully, but like necessarily believe about her story is that when the cops came in, she's just standing there holding right his hand, like mm-hmm. like nothing was wrong, like nothing's wrong, like like you were in on his story. Mm-hmm. If you were experiencing this, but she thought I mean, Jesus unless, was coming, unless she was like super drugged up, mm-hmm. she thought Jesus was coming, so she was like, better get up for this, stand at that bay window, <sighs> I guess. get ready, arms open. As time went on, Cynthia became more depressed in jail. Remember, she has this history of mental illness. She actually attempted suicide twice by lighting herself on fire on the first attempt. On the second attempt, she attempted to hang herself. Both were unsuccessful. She slowly became more than just depressed. She started to lose her mind. And one of the guards said that at one point he came upon Angela in her cell and she looked like she was holding a pretend baby and said, you know, the guard approached her and she said, shh, shh, the baby 
Eventually, John and Cynthia were moved to the jail next to the courthouse where their, their trial, trial would be held. And the trial was held on November 4th, 1985. So it's almost a whole year later. Mm-hmm. John and Cynthia were both initially charged with the murder, although the charge against Cynthia was later reduced to manslaughter, and we'll see why. Tom Goodwin was the prosecutor on this case. Cynthia's attorney's name was Alan Stone, and John's attorney was named Jim Burt, just so you know who I'm talking about as we continue. Both John and Cynthia's attorneys were clever enough and said, we do not want a trial by jury because I put put in my notes here because they look guilty as... (laughs) <laughs> i mean yeah this if yeah. i was a juror i'd be like what, why are we even having a trial I, yeah you'd walk in and go no mm-hmm. so they don't have a trial by jury they Correct. are it's, it's only by the judge to judge mm-hmm. interesting cynthia's attorney stated that cynthia was just a grieving mother who had viciously lost her baby at the hands of john lane john lane's attorney said that john just went mad and lost control the oven Obviously, it was produced as evidence in Which, the courtroom. And, and here's why, like, imagine being a, a, a jury member and they roll an oven right out into court as evidence. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, We're not about to bake some cookies, There's y'all. no, yeah, I mean, like, there's, that would be like a, 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 deal, a, a yeah. deal breaker right mm-hmm. there. I mean. They didn't clean the oven up before they brought it in. And even more, more so, mm-hmm. yeah. It was still stained with fluids from Angela's body. I don't like this. John and Cynthia were both granted permission to leave the courtroom while the oven was being presented. No. You can, you can sit, sit there, there and, and look at your oven. Right. <laughs> sit there and look at your oven, ma'am. Yeah. The judge, after seeing the oven, had to call a 10-minute recess so that he could compose himself. Yeah. Well, uh, make John and Cynthia sit in there and look at what they did. Yep. I didn't like that. Especially, I mean, you've already talked about how every first responder on this case had traumatic repercussions of what they saw the judge has to call a recess so that he can compose himself why did john and cynthia get they got a get out of jail free pa- yeah why do they get a pass they shouldn't have no that makes me mad prosecution pointed out that cynthia was seen holding hands with john once the police arrived on the scene you know the neighbors saw them kissing that whole thing they brought that up yeah see that's why i don't i, I don't buy cynthia's innocent, story yeah innocence. yeah However, actual proof of Cynthia's active participation, you know, like putting the child in the oven, was really thin at this point. One piece of evidence against Cynthia, this is kind of a crazy story. While Cynthia was in jail, she attempted to call a friend named John Collins. He was actually a police officer she had known when she was living out on the streets and had shown sympathy to her. So she tries to call him. But by mistake, she actually dials the household of a different John Collins. This John Collins has a son named Paul who answers the phone. And instead of saying, oh, this this isn't the John Collins you were trying to reach, he was like, oh, well, you can tell me what you were going to tell that John Collins, and I'll try to get a message to him. Uh, it, <laughs> interesting. Just, instead just of saying, bo- like, hey, wrong number, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah, let me go try to find just the bored. other John Collins mm-hmm. that exists, and I'll pass along his message. Just shooting the breeze. She, at this point, according to Paul, Cynthia made this confession and told Paul that she had done something very bad. She had put a little girl in the oven, and she hoped that God would forgive her. This story that sounds a little far-fetched to me, and that's what the defense attorney points uh, out. Yeah. He points that Paul, even if he did hear this from Cynthia, was woken from a dead sleep and didn't remember. remember half of what she said. 
but also he didn't give his statement to a police until a few days later when he could have already forgotten all the details about the call. Yeah, I guess that's easy to break apart. Mm -hmm. And Paul would have been familiar with the case after hearing it on the news. Yeah, I mean, that's unfortunate that she didn't get the right John Collins because mm -hmm. if she had said that straight to a police officer right, and he could have done something with it, that Mm -hmm. would have been a lot more substantial. Mm Mm-hmm. With this being the only piece of evidence really against Cynthia, the state was like, oh, we don't got enough evidence. They didn't even wait to acquittal. They voluntarily dismissed the murder charge, and they moved forward with a manslaughter charge. To defend the manslaughter charge, Cynthia's attorney claimed that Cynthia was so impaired at the time of Angela's murder, she would have been completely unaware of Angela's impending doom. So because she had drugs drugs or so much? Yeah, or even, like, your mental state in general. Like, just blacking out. Mm -hmm. Now we move on to John and his history of events. He had become convinced that Angela was possessed by Lucifer, and he said that her eyes were full of fire and hate. So he goes on to tell his story. He said he shut Angela in her room and tied the door closed with an electrical cord. He then smelled a horrible stink coming from Angela's room. He then wrapped a gold blanket around Sarah and held her protectively. John said that Angela was about to get out of her room and was still full of hate. He sent her back to her room again, closed the door, stacking the chair against it. But somehow she escaped again, probably because she's Lucifer in his mind. He said he could smell his own flesh burning off of him. And he described the whole scene and what was going on in his mind is madness in the street and screaming and laughing and scrapings on the windows and banging on the walls. That's what John was hearing in his head. So at some point he also started to tear down all the curtains in the house, um, hoping that Christ could see them through the window when he came to save them. John said he hit Angela repeatedly with a Bible under her nose until it started to bleed. He then tried to get rid of her by holding her head in the toilet. So that scene in the bathroom with the chair and the blood and all that. At this point, he said, Angela was no longer Angela, but a green and slimy creature named Sweet Pea, who was really Lucifer. These just random little facts that make no sense. I mean, I I can't, I can't fathom. Mm -hmm. I would just like, I imagine being an investigator and listening to someone tell you the story with a straight face and you know, they believe it in their heart that this is what happened. And you're just like, no. Yeah. No, bro. He then picked up Angela and placed her in the oven and wedged a chair against it. And he said that she did struggle to get out. Remember, we said she was was alive. alive, Mm -hmm. John, again, blames these actions on Michael, which is one of his alternate personalities. Oh, good. He's got more than one. Judge Chandler, presiding over the trial, he's quoted as saying, Mr. Lane, I find that the evidence in this case has established the following beyond a reasonable doubt that you, John Lane through suffering from various mental illnesses and defects, which could be considered an abnormal condition of mind, nevertheless were capable of acting intentionally or knowingly on October 27, 1984, at the time of the killing of Angela Palmer, and that you, therefore, had at that time required a culpable state of mind, Mr. Lane. I also find beyond a reasonable doubt that you did intentionally or knowingly cause the death of Angela Palmer. Therefore, Mr. Lane, I find that you are guilty of the crime of murder, the murder of Angela Palmer. So again, I mean, yeah, you know, they I, didn't do a trial by jury. So the judge gets yeah. inside and said he's guilty. Which I, I mean, he yes. said he said 
he, he, he said he did all these things. It doesn't, it doesn't really Lucifer, but yeah. he still put her in the oven. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you think it's a green ball of slime named Sweet Pea that's also mm-hmm. Lucifer. Like, yeah, you yeah. did it. You still did it, boy. John Lane was convicted of life in prison. Cynthia Palmer somehow was proven not guilty of even manslaughter. Okay. So she, so she gets out, and she is excited. She's thinking she's going to get Sarah back, which is the child that yeah. was left. Mm-hmm. Um, she did not. She never regained custody of Sarah, thankfully. Yeah, because... She I, doesn't deserve to have her. I still think she had more involvement than she's playing mm-hmm. off, off to be. Cynthia died in 2005 of unknown illnesses. John is still alive. He's still in prison. He, he said that he expected to be killed in prison and sent to heaven after he was killed in prison. Probably not, not, that, not, not John. He's now seeking a new trial. <gasps> yep. In a motion filed in federal court, John Lane claims that his mental illness prevented him from filing a timely appeal. He also claims that his lawyer did a poor job of defending him during his trial in 1985. Among other things, Lane says that his lawyer should have introduced his mental health records into evidence, which we don't need your mental health records, boy. You, no, yeah, you call in a girl, it's, Lucifer, it's pretty, who's also named clear. as Sweet Pea, who's also a green slimy monster in your mind. So, But e- but even then, would would mental health records have gotten him? I guess just like a, he's saying, I don't know. A lesser sentence? No. I, I mean. No. I, right. We're in the mind of John Lane. Hannah. I don't know. I just It's yeah. opposite day. He said that they didn't provide the health records into evidence and failed to challenge statements by a psychiatrist that Lane understood the wrongfulness of his actions. After this conviction, on a, we, you know, we always try to bring it back and end on a somewhat positive note. Somewhat. The government in Maine reinforced child protection investigations, and it went from being the state that was renowned for its laxity on, on these type things to a more progressive American child protection jurisdiction. So that's so good. if anything good came out of this, it's that the the state of Maine went from like one of the weakest to one of the strongest in terms of protecting like, children. Yeah, that's about the only good thing that came out of this case. But yikes! That's it, guys. That that is the murder of Angela Palmer. Palmer. Don't know what Sarah's doing these days. Hope she's okay. Hope she's getting therapy. Yeah, because like we said at the beginning of this, you know, a lot of people who experience trauma in their youth end up being involved in something like this mm-hmm. in their adulthood. So right. hopefully that's not the case here. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's what Hansel and Gretel this could have looked like mm-hmm. had the witch successfully mm-hmm. gotten her in the Gretel put, in the put oven. The, put the kids in the oven. Yep. Well, well thanks. That one, that one was especially dark and twisted. So You're thanks. welcome. Thanks for that. You're Lacey. welcome. And just a perfect way to start the holidays, I thought. It, uh, just a little holiday cheer. Mm-hmm. I had originally researched another story, a true crime story for this podcast, and I thought it was too gruesome. Remember I told you about it? There was a woman know, that yeah. recently yeah. put two of her children in an oven and cooked them. Yeah. And I thought... Patreon episode, maybe. I don't know. Also, they she her trial hasn't gone on, and the, there's not a lot of details. But uh, if you want to look that up, her name's Lamora Williams, and she that was in Atlanta, that story. So there's a, actually a lot, a lot, a lot of murders that happen in ovens. Not gingerbread houses, though. No. No. Sure. Those don't really sure not. Exist. If y'all know of one, let us know. Listen, and if you need a little bit of, you know, 
an uh, uplifting after this mm-hmm. go out get you a gingerbread house making kit get you oh get you a not, hashtag non-spawn gingerbread latte the iced one from duncan yeah go get you some gingerbread coffee build a gingerbread house do all the things don't put children in an oven don't, don't put anyone in an oven yeah don't put yourself in an oven yeah don't do it but until next time you can follow us on instagram scary tales podcast uh-huh. we might we might be getting a gingerbread house kit later and doing a little uh gingerbread building kit yeah. on our Instagram. You can get one. We can do it together. Um, email. ScaryTalesPod yeah, at Gmail. Can, yep. You can email us at ScaryTalesPod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be posting some holiday cheer this month for you. We've mm-hmm. got some gift ideas that you can give. We've got some uh, holiday themed snacks. Yes. You- Trying try to keep it a little bit lighter over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also check out some pictures and images from this week's podcast yes you can and normally i keep it a secret but we'll just whatever I think what the, the hey they, they they probably already know the people can probably speculate uh, our next episode next episode we're gonna be talking about good old santa claus and us americans would say krampus 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 the, the legend of that and then we'll bring you a good old christmas time true crime so Tune happy in. holidays happy holidays We'll see you then. See you soon. Bye-bye.